<laughs> I mean, this is this is all you justify it. Justify fading the highest owned wide receiver on the slate who's in a smash spot. <laughs> oh, so you want me to explain why I'm so sharp? No, I want yeah, you to explain no. why you're such an absolute fish that you would fade Brandon Cooks in the ultimate setup with no Will Fuller and instead play Kiki Cutie, stonefish play, sacrifice the upside, and then just hit the stone nuts. Stonefish play, huh? Kiki Kiki Cootie was a fish play? I think so. No. cash. No shot. A 3,500 wide receiver projected to see more snaps, more targets in the absence of Will Fuller. All of Will Fuller's targets weren't going to Brandon Cooks. So I don't know why people were assuming that. And just point blank period, Brandon Cooks is a beta bitch. Okay? He's not an alpha. He, he's just not the guy. He's not the guy that a quarterback wants to lean on when times are tough. That's what Will Fuller was there for. And then not to mention, this boy Brandon Cooks can't stop getting concussions. He left the game for a little bit with a concussion, came back and, you know, had, had a catch after that, finished with 11 points. But Brandon Cooks is just trash. And at 5,600, you know, he, he was a good play. He was a solid play. Obviously, you can increase his target projection with no Will Fuller. But at the end of the day... I'm playing grown men. I'm playing grown oh, men. That's in what the, Kiki is? In the DK lineup. And Kiki, a player who has had two 100-yard games against the Colts prior to this game, had his third today, is a grown man. Better than Brandon Cooks, okay? Brandon Cooks is wow. not the guy. And the 45% of people who faded Cooks or 50% of people who faded Cooks were on the right side of it because he is just not it. He's not a good wide receiver in the NFL. He's average at best. He's not an alpha. And it's I just mean, that neither simple. Neither is Kiki Cutie. It took, you know, 38-year-old Randall Cobb getting hurt for this man to touch the field once. He was also 2,100 cheaper. And it, and, it, and it doesn't matter what happened in the past. He's on the field now. He's on the field getting playing time. Okay, Randall Cobb gone. Kenny Stills gone. Will Fuller gone. Now it's the Kiki time. It's his show. It's his team from this point forward. Wow. Uh, Brandon Cooks, you suck, and I'm glad I faded him, and I was on the right side of that in week 13, and I knew it all along. I I knew it all along, so shout out to me for being so sharp and fading an absolute scrub in cash. It's just one of those, you know, I, you know, I, I know better moments. I just... I'm just not playing Brandon Cooks in that spot. I don't care. He could have been 99%. I would have been the one player that faded him. <laughs> yeah, had, to, I mean, had to go on that rant. Sorry. No, I, it's cool. It's cool. I just, I respect the sharpness of knowing that Brandon Cooks is going to go out with a concussion and projecting Kiki to average 17.6 yards per catch. <laughs> hey. I mean, at 3,500, it was what he allowed you to do with the rest of your lineup Mm. is what you're not understanding. Oh, okay. That's why we make some of these thinner plays. And he wasn't even that thin of a play to begin with. Well, shout out to you. You're the sharpest. That's a fact. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 114 of the DFS Dose Podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, 
We are going to recap the full week 13 main slate from a DFS perspective. We'll talk about the highly owned cash game plays and the decision points that you had to make around them. We'll touch on our results from the slate. We'll talk about what it took to win a million dollars on DraftKings. We'll review the Millie making lineup. And then as always, we'll close out the show with some interesting stats. But before we get into any of that, Joey, can you tell the people how to support the podcast? You can help support the DFS Dose by following us on Twitter at the DFS Dose. That's where we tweet out links to all of our content, including videos, clips, articles, etc. So make sure you are following us over there. And then as always, make sure you are subscribed to whatever podcast platform you use so whether that be Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, etc., just make sure you are followed or subscribed. It helps us out more than you might know. And then if you want, you can go over to our YouTube channel where Ben and myself post videos every single Wednesday and Friday. And then we also post clips from this podcast. So if you want, you can go over there and subscribe at the DFS Dose. We just surpassed about 135 subscribers. So on our way to over 140 grind over there on youtube but you know we're growing every day so shout out to you guys and then lastly if you want you could join our free discord chat where we discuss dfs all day every day and the link for that will be in the description down below i would highly recommend joining that especially since it's free and it will most likely help you become a better dfs player and make better decisions with your lineup so check it out and yeah that's the best way to support us couldn't agree more with you on the discord point I mean, a lot of the times DFS is a game of incomplete information, but that information clarifies and we release our preview podcast on Thursday. There's three full days before the slate locks in between there. So, you know, things change. And as we'll talk about on this show, there was a lot of change in the way that we viewed the slate from Thursday to Sunday. So, I mean, the Discord channel is a great way to, you know, pick our brains on that. And hopefully we can help you win like we did today. And we'll get to our results momentarily but we're going to start off by reviewing the highest owned cash game plays on the slate the following ownerships are from the $25 single entry massive double up on DraftKings at the running back position the chalk consolidated around five main players David Montgomery was the highest owned at 54% after that we had Austin Eckler 45.4 Dalvin Cook right behind him at 43.6 Devontae Booker and Miles Gaskin, sort of his ancillary pieces. Both of them were about 25% owned in these double ups. At wide receiver, like we referenced already, Brandon Cooks was the highest owned on the slate at 51%. Joey's super sharp pivot, Kiki Cutie, was also fairly popular at 32%. We had the Rams wide receivers drawing a decent amount of popularity as well. Cup was 33, Woods 30, and Devontae Adams at 9K garnered 25% ownership. The chalk tight end, Anthony Ferkser at the Stone Min was 58.5%, and Aaron Rodgers dominated ownership at quarterback, 47.4%. Joey, how did you do on the week? Yeah, I had another uh, solid week, so booked my third straight win in a row after that horrendous, you know, week nine or week 10, whatever week it was where we literally won nothing so it's always good to get a dub in the books my lineup scored 165 
88.30 points, went 65 and 10 in 75 head to heads for an 87% win rate in head to heads. And this has been my best three week stretch of DFS ever in any sport, just smashing every single week. So, you know, it's, it's good over here. We're not on the streets <laughs> yet. We're definitely not on the streets yet. So yeah, yeah. I mean, that's good. That's that's good. And you you missed the uh, the the main landmine chalk, I think, there in Brandon Cooks. And uh, you know, I I just gotta shout myself out here because the cash line was one fifty point zero four, and I scored one fifty two point four. So unlike Joey, I, you know, I was buried for a lot of the day, and really up until like the final five minutes of the slate, I was completely buried. But you know, I made a pretty sharp play myself this week, made the ultimate pivot off of Austin Eckler, who I had, you know, locked in at my flex 7,100. I left $100 on the board pre-slate Joey just for this exact situation because I'm galaxy brain like that. And I'm like, you know, what if I am behind going into these 4 p.m. games? Well, I can pivot off of Austin Eckler, who's going to be massive chalk. He ended up being 45.4% in double ups. And I pivoted up to Aaron Jones for the extra $100, thought that was good leverage on Adams. And Aaron Jones smashed with a 77-yard touchdown in the final minutes of the Packers game, a 16.7-point play that just you know, dropped me from being de- demolished in cash to to at least salvaging. I won 57.4% of my cash games, but it went from a really grim day to you know a pretty good day off of that one Aaron Jones play. So shout out to me in that that pivot I made. Yeah, shout out to you. You're just you're just too sharp for the field. I know. You know, just just in all seriousness, that's you know how you can get an edge in DFS is just by making that one simple move. I mean, DraftKings obviously allows you to change your lineup if you have the salary available to swap going into the late games, and that's what Ben utilized. And you know, he would have went from losing hundreds of dollars to winning hundreds of dollars. So if you're not at least considering it when you're down in DFS every Sunday, then you are not playing DFS correctly. And I think that's something for me, especially that I've been more conscious of this season. Although, you know, in this week and in the last couple of weeks, I haven't really had to sweat. Um, it's been cashing ever since the the one o'clock bell rang. <laughs> Uh, but, <laughs> but it's definitely a great feature to utilize and everybody should be doing it if they are losing. It's kind of essential. Yeah. And when you have the chance to make a pivot like that, where, you know, you, you know that Austin Eckler is going to be insanely high owned and he's definitely a better floor projection than Aaron Jones, who you can always project to be in like a dead even split with Jamal Williams. But, you know, Jones has a massive ceiling and he was 2% owned in cash games. So that's mm-hmm. just huge leverage. And when he breaks a big play like he did, obviously ran pretty hot with him scoring a 77 yard touchdown when the Packers pretty much had that game in hand. But still, thank God I needed that so bad. But I mean, let's talk about some of the main decision points that apply to, you know, the rest of our listeners, the main decision points on the slate. We already touched on the brain and cooks key key uh cutie decision point in the open which was the biggest difference between our two lineups but there were some really tight 1v1 decisions that people had to make especially at running back on this slate and starting off with the high priced guys i think that dalvin cook and derrick henry was a tougher choice than the ownership maybe you know looks like you know looking back at it dalvin cook ended up being 43.6 percent owned derrick henry was like 13 or 12 percent in cash and I mean, early in the week, it felt like Derrick Henry was the superior play. We talked about it on our Thursday podcast, but we both ended up playing 
Dalvin Cook when it all came down to it. So let's talk about that choice and, and at what point in the week we switched from thinking that Henry was the play to Dalvin being the play. Yeah, and just before I touch on that, um, you mentioned in the intro how a lot of stuff can change, and I think that's a you know a reason to join the Discord is because that's where we would put our thoughts on the changes that happened throughout the week. And I guess that's one of the cons of recording, you know, an early preview podcast. We recorded it, you know, Wednesday in the evening around five, six o'clock usually. And we were on Derrick Henry and, you know, we touted Derrick Henry over Delvin Cook. But as the week progressed, Delvin Cook became the better play, in my opinion, especially since he was left off the injury report. He was healthy, got into full practice on Friday. Obviously, we didn't have that information. Um, We also didn't have the information that Alexander Madison was going to be out for this game on Wednesday. He had, you know, appendicitis, had surgery to help that, so ended up being out. And he was the biggest threat for touches in terms of the Vikings offense. Um, We could project for Mike Boone to not really see any touches. With all of that in consideration, I ended up liking Delvin Cook a little bit more than Derrick Henry. Obviously, they were two home running backs in great spots in two high-totaled games. And I don't think you we're wrong if you play Derrick Henry, but I think Delvin Cook's floor is a little bit higher just due to his reception upside. Derrick Henry isn't utilized in that facet, unfortunately. Um, so at the end of the day, you know, at the end of the week, it was Delvin Cook for me and for us, and we ended up getting on the right side of things, but that, that just goes to show how, you know, the information that becomes available throughout the week can change our thoughts you know, in in two days, in three days even, so. Yeah, and I mean, both of these totals were rising, but it it really was the situation around Dalvin Cook that changed the most because what we learned was, you know, he went from on Wednesday to us, you know, talking about whether or not we believed his workload would be scaled back to him being, you know, a full participant on Friday and then Alexander Madison getting surgery on Saturday and taking him out of the account. And then at that point, we're just looking at, well, like Dalvin Cook is in the highest total game on the slate as 10 and a half point favorites in a like in a smash matchup and it just became pretty clear and you know although mm-hmm. we did hear these quotes that there was a chance that Derrick Henry would be utilized in the passing game and the Titans actually fell into a game script where if that was something they wanted to do I mean this would have been the spot to do it but you know that is something that I think we both kind of looked at as being like you know maybe they do that but it's not a sure thing like it is with Dalvin Cook. And I mean, we just saw that unfold perfectly clearly. Dalvin Cook had nine targets because they were also in a negative game script for points. So he ended up with six receptions for 59 yards and Derrick Henry only had one catch for nine yards. There was no real actual on-field evidence that they actually do want to get him the wall more in the passing game. So I just, I think that Dalvin Cook ended up becoming the better play as the week developed. And that is why Joey and I made that switch in our stance. I think another major shift that we had in our thinking from the time that we recorded the Thursday pod to Sunday morning lock was, you know, on the podcast, we were talking about how it seemed like it was going to be a priority to pay down to quarterback. You know, you were bullish on Fitzpatrick. And at that point in the week, it seemed like he would be the starter. I mean, we didn't really find out until Saturday night that Tua would be the starter here. And that definitely 
you know, took Fitz out of play and took, you know, we weren't going to play two in that spot. And Trubisky, as the week developed, that game environment just got worse and worse. DeAndre Swift ruled out after it looked like he would play. Uh, Kenny Galladay ruled out again. So it just looked like the scoring potential as a whole in that game was getting shakier and shakier. So Aaron Rodgers at 6,800 is who we both played and the majority of the field played as well. Yeah, and I, I think we kind of overlooked Rodgers on the preview pod uh, for sure. I think we were too focused on the cheap quarterbacks to actually uh no to actually think that Aaron Rodgers was a better play than both of them but at least we got onto you know that thought later in the week and for me it's just Aaron Rodgers has been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL this season he's been great each and every single week in terms of DraftKings points and I just felt like at 6800 he was underpriced this week in a good spot at home against a reeling Eagles team that, you know, has no confidence right now. And we saw it today. Uh, Rogers came out. He was as efficient as ever, had three touchdowns, uh, almost got the 300 yard bonus. And yeah, so I, I think that was definitely the right move was to play Rogers in cash and, you know, trash biscuit was, uh, terrible. So shout out to us for getting off of Trubisky. I think he also did kind of run bad with only scoring 13 points when the Bears scored, what, 30 plus points in this game. That's always a concern when you're playing a quarterback that the head coach wants to hide as much as possible if the game script will allow for it, which it ended up working out like that at home against the Lions. So it was kind of predictable and I'm glad that we got off it. Man, R.I.P. Trubisky, you know, having the three touchdown passes against the Lions. It was fun while it lasted. (laughs) Something that kind of surprised me with the week was the ownership uh, gap between David Montgomery and uh, Devontae Booker. I thought that this would kind of be, you know, split. And I thought Devontae Booker would be a lot more owned than he was. Turns out that David Montgomery, at least in terms of cash games, came in at nearly double the ownership, actually more than double the ownership at 54% to Devontae Booker's 25%. And I think that a lot of the reason behind that is that when Miles Gaskin became available people you know were eager to move there at 5900 400 above both of those guys and i think that sort of split the ownership a little bit away from Devonte booker but clearly we both played david montgomery over booker and i think that you know the majority of the field thought that that was the right call as well yeah and i was on that stance even on the wednesday preview pod so that's one thought that didn't change when we were discussing it on wednesday i said that you know david montgomery was a better play if Devontae Booker ended up opening up and I full faded Devontae Booker and everything cash games tournaments he is a career scrub running back going into this game obviously we could project for him to have a you know an increase in workload but he was coming off on passing downs for Jalen Richard we we've seen that historically over the last couple of seasons they're gonna take their main running back off the field in favor of Richard. So I thought that was a reason to play Montgomery over Booker because I don't think there was any situation where Montgomery was coming off the field. Now, you know, we couldn't really foresee Cordero Patterson getting what 11 carries 12 carries or or whatever he got so he did end up coming off the field but in hindsight process wise David Montgomery was a better play obviously a more reception upside more snaps on the field more touches so that that's where I was at with Devontae Booker didn't play him anywhere didn't feel like it was necessary with Montgomery right there 
And then just uh, in terms of Miles Gaskin, I thought Gaskin was a better play than Devontae Booker. And I had Gaskin in my lineup right up until like 12 o'clock. Then I was like, uh, it's probably not optimal to play Gaskin over Montgomery. So I ended up going from Gaskin to Montgomery, although I thought they were very similar plays. And Gaskin had had a decent game. You know, he had 15 points, uh, missed out on a touchdown where he got three or four straight attempts from the goal line to try and get in there. Uh, Could have had a better day, but I thought Booker was clear cut below the two. Yeah, I mean, Miles Gaskin ended up being sharp, right? He had the most rushing yards out of these guys. He had the most receiving yards out of these guys. He had the most touches out of these guys. So for 400 more, he, you know, he would have been the right process play if, if we got that right. It's just the David Montgomery scored two touchdowns and Miles Gaskins, you know, didn't get in the end zone, like you said. But yeah, I mean, David Montgomery definitely ran hot, but the, the, these are two games back to back where he has been popping off and he has a solid schedule coming up. So David Montgomery is going to be getting a price bump and we're going to have to be considering whether or not we play his bum ass in cash next week at a high price with a secure workload. But that is something to talk about on the Thursday show. And while we're here on the Bears briefly, I mean, both of us played Allen Robinson in cash. And I don't know. I mean, I thought he was a slam dunk play at 6,700. He ended up only being 15% owned in cash. And I think that the rest of the field was more interested in playing Cooper Cup and Robert Woods over Allen Robinson. But to me, I mean, I thought Allen Robinson was a clear cut better play and, and much more of a priority for me. Yeah, I thought Allen Robinson was a great play this week. And, you know, he was in a good matchup. I think he has one of the highest target projections on a weekly basis. And at 6,700, I, I felt he was too cheap and it was a priority for me to play him. Ended up not getting there, but process wise, I still believe it was. Was the right play. I think Cup and Woods were a little bit better just because they were cheaper. You know, maybe their target floor isn't as high as Allen Robinson's, but there are still games where Cup and Woods can see 10, 15 targets uh, in any given game. So I thought they were a little bit better. And I played Cup with Allen Robinson. I, I thought Cup was a great play this week, which also ended up working out. But yeah, Allen Robinson was a good process play. Just results didn't get there. The Bears got out to an early lead uh, with David Montgomery scoring a couple of rushing touchdowns. So that hurt A-Rob, a- but you know, I'm not too mad at it. Yeah, just just between the two, to me, it's it was a spot where, you know, the matchup was so good for Robinson and the matchup was good for the Rams guys too. But with the two of them there and it feeling like it could, you know, go to one of them over the other in any given spot. Like I never think that Anthony Miller or Darnell Mooney are going to out target Allen Robinson. Like I don't even think that's a possibility. So to me, that alone was a, a good enough differentiating factor to go to Robinson. But I also played uh, Mims and Cooks, whereas Joey, uh, you know, didn't play Cooks, paid down to QT. So he was able to play both. And, you know, if, if you look at the results, that ended up being the correct build opposed to the build that I ran uh, so yeah, I, I think that it in the end, it really shouldn't have been an either or situation. And then finally here in terms of decision points, I mean, it's hard to say that it was a great week for a uh, team pay down at tight end, you know, a team that we've been on all year long when there's a certain tight end, then we'll get to in a little while that just absolutely broke the slate. But Anthony Ferkser was just stone chalk. All of DraftKings appears to be on this wave at this point where it's time to pay down. He was nearly 60% owned. He was 60% depending on what double up you looked at. And I mean, man, he got there basically off of one drive. <laughs> yeah, uh, he 
didn't do anything for 99% of the game, <laughs> but that last drive, he got there and, you know, I'll take 10 points out of a 2,500 min price backup tight end in cash games all day, every day. And, you know, it, it was a good week for team pay up, but you know, this is maybe the only good week that they'll have all season. So they can take the W on this one, but it's still paid down at tight end every single week. It, it just helps the overall upside of your lineup when you can spend that salary elsewhere because, you know, let's say you did pay 6100 for Waller. You know, maybe that didn't allow you to get Devontae Adams if you played him in cash as he was one of the highest owned wide receivers. You probably still cashed with Waller and no Adams, but I, I think over a 16 game sample size, that'll be the wrong process play uh, in the end. So I'm always going to pay down. So it's just that simple. Yeah, I mean, I mean, outside of like maybe if you played Waller and binked a massive GPP, I mean, team pay up is definitely they recoup this week, but they're they're definitely in the negative. You recoup some today, but yeah, I mean, you're still scratching back there. It's definitely been a pay down year all year. <laughs> Let's move on to the million dollar lineup. What it took to win a million dollars on DraftKings this week, and our winner uh, today was a user who goes by the name J-G-I-I. Not sure what that is, how to pronounce that. Maybe it's like some initials or something. But what he ran in the DK Millimaker was a Raider stack. Derek Carr to Darren Waller with no Jets bring back. He had Justin Jefferson and James Robinson as, uh, you know, a correlated duo and both are leverage off of Dalvin Cook so that was pretty good but after that I mean just a bunch of uncorrelated one-offs that smashed Chris Carson he had Robert Woods Corey Davis an absolute smash play and Robert Tanyan for the two tight end hammer two tight end winning in a big spot and then Patriots mm -hmm. D dropping a nice 31 points at five percent all in all this was a 258.44 point lineup 114 percent cumulative ownership and joey this is a lineup where this man played two tight ends and he played his 1 p.m tight end in the flex and his late game tight end in the tight end spot i mean is this just a stonefish lineup let's be real about it i mean yeah obviously <laughs> Obviously a fish player if he's not putting his late game guy in the flex. You could just tell that off rip, yeah. right? Huge giveaway. And, and I mean, shout out to him though. Uh, hit the nuts with Derek Carr to Darren Waller. You know, I, I was fine with that. I actually came around to that in the Discord a little bit. I liked it. Didn't play it myself, but I, I like Carr in, in a great spot against the Jets, and the Jets are terrible against tight end, so I could see why he went there. Jefferson and James Robinson, I ran that in the Millie Maker, so that's that's kind of funny. I thought that was actually a very good correlation, so I. I, I like that a lot. You know, he just, he just smashed on one-offs. Well, what are you going to do? You know, uh, two tight end second time. It's won the Millie maker all year. Uh, probably the last time that it'll win it all year. Patriots defense, uh, shout out to the Patriots. Uh, obviously my favorite team absolutely decimated the chargers today, scored 31 points, had a couple touchdowns on special teams. And yeah, I mean, pfft. Well, what a lineup, 258 points, and this dude's a million dollars richer, so he, he might know more than me, to be honest, because uh, I can't win a million dollars, because I'm just not as sharp as him to play two tight ends. You know, maybe I should reevaluate my uh, Millie Maker process for next week. The key is obviously to just jam two tight ends and, and, you know, play your early players in the flex. 
You know, mm-hmm. I, I didn't know that, but now I do. So shout out to <laughs> JG double I for the lesson. He's a million dollars richer and you can't hit on that. All right. Finally, the interesting stats of the week. And I think that the best place to start off here, I mean, hell, we might as well just start off with Darren Waller. We've been talking about him the last two segments here. Absolute monster game he was what 6.1 on DraftKings. put up a nice 48 spot 13 receptions for 200 yards and two touchdowns on 17 targets joey he was the sixth tight end in nfl history to have 200 yards in a single game just an absolute monster performance out of darren waller yeah and darren waller is you know, just one of the best tight ends in the NFL. He's definitely top three, I think, in in the NFL. I'd put him over Mark Andrews, to be honest. No question. I think it's Kelsey, Kittle, Waller is the unquestioned top three tight ends in the NFL right now. One of the best uh, receiving tight ends in the NFL, obviously. And, you know, that's just my boy. Um, (laughs) A1 since day one. If if longtime listeners, if you're one of those uh, listeners that has stuck around with us for the you know over the years now y'all would know that i touted darren waller in the off season of the 2019 season and i got laughed off the podcast i got laughed off by who the podcast by you oh and jared just calling me an absolute bum for thinking that this <laughs> dude was going to be anything and you know it, it's just a great feeling to be the tight end whisperer for fantasy football so if you ever need tight end advice just hit me up in, in my twitter dms or wherever and you know i'll give you advice on who's who's going to be the uh, sleeper tight ends every single year God, I mean, you've been smashing. Honestly, I'll get, I'll give it up to you. And yeah, Darren Waller, just a monster play. And, you know, this is, I guess, the thesis of, you know, the play for the people who do pay up is because, yeah, I mean, Anthony Ferkser can get there in cash, right? He can get 10 points and get you there. That's a 4X. You're sailing in cash games. But in a tournament, you know, he doesn't have that upside. There are only a few guys nope. that do. And Darren Waller, you know, just in terms of being able to separate from the position, there's Waller, there's Andrews, there's Kelsey. There used to be Kittle, but, you know, without Kittle, with no Andrews on the slate, no Kelsey on the slate, Darren Waller had that potential and he absolutely did. 48 points. Shout out to him. Mm-hmm. Monster performance. Let's talk about another monster performance. This one from a late bloomer, Corey Davis. I mean, it's finally happening. All these years later, he was the fifth overall pick in 2017. I think he's largely sort of been regarded as a bum and a bust. And, you know, AJ Brown comes in and succeeds where he fails immediately last year. You know, we got to give it up for Corey Davis. He has really sort of come along this year, especially. He is less than 100 yards away from besting his career high. He has 803 yards with four games to play, three of those in solid matchups. I think Corey Davis is about to have his first 1,000 yard season. Yeah, I mean, Corey Davis has been absolutely snapping this year. So shout out to him. You know, back in 2017, I drafted him. With the number one overall pick in our dynasty league, and I, I think I cursed him. So uh, I'll take the L on Corey Davis being a bust for the first three or four years of his career. But he's he's coming on now. 
Corey Davis has been one of the best values in, you know, redraft leagues and in best ball leagues this year, I think, because uh, you could have got Corey Davis in the 16th, 17th round in your in your home redraft leagues. Maybe the maybe that was a little bit higher in best ball, but I think he's still emerging as one of the best values from the 2020 fantasy football drafts, I think. Uh, absolutely. And I mean, I was wrong earlier, you know, just when we were watching the games, I said something about how you know the titans kind of messed up by declining his fifth year option but i was completely bugged they still have the option for this upcoming off season and i mean i think that Corey davis might have single-handedly guaranteed him uh, you know getting that fifth year rookie option picked up with this performance alone i mean just just an absolute monster game 184 yards caught 11 of 12 targets and he looked like a grown-ass man out there you know with aj brown (laughs) you know a little bit dinged up he had a scary moment where it looked like he might have torn his acl but he came back in but i mean Corey davis just stepped up and and you know, looked like a true alpha. Shout out to Corey Davis. Um, I'm glad he got his career turned around. It, it could have been bad for him, to be honest. It could, but it seems like he is in a good position. Let's move on here to the Saints offense. And there's just some interesting things going on here with this Taysom Hill-led New Orleans offense. And, and the first one is you know, the absolutely insane target share that Michael Thomas has seen. I, I know that there was a lot of concern with what Michael Thomas could do with, you know, the downgrade, quote unquote, downgrade from Drew Brees to Taysom Hill, but he's had a 38.1% target share in Taysom Hill's three starts. He, you know, had his first 100 yard game of the season today with Taysom Hill at quarterback, went nine for 105 on 11 targets. And then, you know, at the other side of this ball with the other star player, they have Alvin Kamara. He got there today, sort of, you know, he had 15 attempts for 88 yards and a touchdown, but still only two receptions on three targets. We talked about it on our last review podcast, and, you know, we would bring it back up this week. Alvin Kamara's, you know, role as a receiver with Taysom Hill, I think we just have to acknowledge that it's minimal at best at this point. Yeah, I definitely think it's minimal, and then that obviously hurts his reception upside and his fantasy upside, I should say. Um, God, it, it just sucks to see him not involved in the passing game with Taysom Hill at quarterback, and I think Taysom Hill has been better than Drew Brees this year, to be honest. I, I think he is a better quarterback for the Saints in 2020 than Drew Brees. I I think that Taysom Hill is a solid player and he can get the job done. I mean, he completed 73% of his passes this week against Atlanta, had 14 carries for 83 yards, fumbled the ball three times, but only lost one. uh, So fumbles are an issue with him. I I just think with him having upside as a rusher Taysom Hill that is uh that hurts Alvin Kamara's upside tremendously uh so I I think he's unplayable with Taysom Hill at at quarterback unless his price tag gets stupid cheap then I would consider Kamara and Michael Thomas I I think he's in play every week if he keeps up you know a 35 40 percent target share with Taysom Hill Taysom Hill literally only looks to Michael Thomas whenever he drops back to throw the football so Michael Thomas will be a good play moving forward Alvin Kamara won't be is is my take on this situation and I mean we could see I don't know what the prices are going to be next week but I would imagine that Alvin Kamara's continues to drop and I'm just saying that without any context I don't even know who they're playing next week but uh, actually it, I know they're it, playing the Eagles but I don't it know. increased it increased Fun fact oh. his price increased what is it? 7,100. He was 7,000 in week 13. Mm, yeah, I think it's really hard to play him without a receiving role there. And I just want to get my bold take off real quick. Taysom Hill, 
2021 fantasy football drafts, if he's the starter for New Orleans, he's a top 10 fantasy quarterback. And I just want to be early on that. And I'm going to be ranking him that way coming into best ball season only a few months away. But I mean, this man is averaging 11.3 rushing attempts per game, averaging over 55 yards per game on the ground, close to 60. You know, he threw his first passing touchdown today and, you know, he didn't get any rushing touchdowns, but he had four over the last three games. I think that, you know, Taysom Hill's rushing equity is something that won't go away. That's part of the player he is. That's part of the appeal that he brings to Sean Payton in this offense, man. I mean, I think Taysom Hill just as what he can do as a rusher, top 10 fantasy quarterback, 2021. So my question to you is Taysom Hill, uh, football cards. Are you investing? Well, Joey, see, here's the thing. I thought about that a couple weeks ago. And the problem <laughs> is, is that, you know, all of his rookie cards are, you know, in a Packers uniform. So I think, I don't know that that's where my knowledge comes in, you know, at a disadvantage. It's like, do saints want to buy Taysom Hill cards in the Packers uni, I don't know. Uh, we'll have to. I'll have to do some research on that, and I'll let you know next podcast how how, how that affects things. I did think about that though. <laughs> well, that well, that's good. At least at least you're thinking about uh, buying some of his cards because if he is a starter next season, it, uh, they could they could be pretty valuable. To be honest, yeah, we'll get back to the listeners on that with our uh, with our weekly uh, sports cards advice on, on Thursday. How about Devontae Adams, man? I mean, this man went 10 receptions, 121, and two touchdowns on 12 targets. A nice 37.1 points on DraftKings. So at this point, Devontae Adams, he's had 10 plus targets in seven out of the nine full games that he's played. He's gone for over 100 yards in five out of nine, and he scored multiple touchdowns in four out of nine. He crossed the 1,000 yard mark today. And I mean, he was inches away, inches away from getting a third touchdown today. So my question to you is, you know, is it time to start regarding him as equivalent to the high-end running backs in terms of DraftKings cash games? Because, you know, I think that we're just sort of wired to think that, you know, we don't pay that type of premium price for a wide receiver in cash games, not when there are guys like Dalvin Cook or Derrick Henry, and we're supposed to, you know, gravitate towards their secure workloads. But can you honestly make an argument that Devontae Adams has a lower floor than Derrick Henry at the same price, even a cheaper price than Derrick Henry or even Dalvin Cook for that matter? I mean, this man is consistently seeing 10 plus targets. He's, you know, the biggest threat in the red zone. He's so automatic when when Rodgers looks to him in the end zone. And he's a dangerous fade every single week in cash games because he's always owned because people want to play this man, Devontae Adams. So, I mean, can you justify going forward playing you know, a wide receiver who's going to be pushing, you know, 9,500 in the coming weeks in cash games over these running backs. Of course you can. And I I think he is exactly like a high price running back. This is a guy that gets multiple end zone looks every single week. Like we saw in this matchup against the Eagles, the Packers literally decided not to run the ball like three straight plays just so Devontae Adams could get a touchdown at the one yard line. And I think that's just how much they trust Rodgers and Adams to get the job done. And like you said, his floor is as high as these uh, high priced running backs that we see with, you know, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, etc. So Devontae Adams is a phenomenal play each and every single week. Um, obviously going to see a price increase weekly if he keeps on performing like this, but it's going to be hard not 
to play him, to be honest, because this man, this man snaps every single week and he scored a touchdown in every game since week seven so far. And he's had three games with multiple touchdowns since week seven. So this, this is just a phenomenal player and you can never go wrong with playing him, obviously. Rank the following players looking way, way far ahead, you know, super early look. We have three players that are priced above 9K on DraftKings next week. Dalvin Cook on the road at Tampa Bay. Tough matchup, 9,400. We have Christian McCaffrey coming off of a bye, probably going to play at home against Denver. That's a solid spot, 9,200. And we have Devontae Adams at 9,300 on the road in a dome against this terrible Detroit secondary at 9,300. I mean, God. It's hard not to think that Devontae Adams is the best play of that group. I mean, Devontae is clear-cut the best. Then I would say Christian McCaffrey, two. Delvin Cook, three is how I would rank that just because Christian McCaffrey would be at home against Denver. And then obviously we know Christian McCaffrey has as much upside as anybody in fantasy football. And then Dalvin Cook would be on the road going into Tampa Bay, going up against one of, if not the best run defense. So I would rank them how I just said. Adams is clear cut the best though. 100%. All right. Adam's going to be a real popular play in week 14. We will talk about that on our Thursday show. Joey Cam Akers appears to have overtaken the running back one spot in LA. Today, he had 75% of the running back touches, 21 attempts for 72 yards and a touchdown. Not an insane stat line, 3.4 yards per carry, but I mean, the fact that he was able to dominate work was the encouraging thing with Cam Akers. Yeah, it was definitely encouraging to see him out on the field for a majority of the game. And maybe we see uh, Cam Akers be the guy moving forward. I think it's just tough to trust Sean McVay and how he plays these running backs on a weekly basis. Like we could see Cam Akers, you know, out there, like we saw him today, 75% of the running back touches, um, 21 touches total. And then next game, he goes back down to playing 5% of snaps and getting three touches. Uh, so I, I still think it's a situation to stay away from for fantasy football. But if you have Cam Akers in your league, uh, you're most likely encouraged by this performance and you just have to hope that McVeigh keeps using him more than Daryl Henderson and Malcolm Brown moving forward for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, Daryl Henderson is legit. Like, he looked good today, too, in the limited work he got. But I mean, I think it'd be pretty hard to even, you know, think about putting Malcolm Brown back out there. I mean, this dude rushed what? He had three attempts for negative three yards, averaging a nice negative yard per carry. I mean, that's a tough (laughs) scene. So I think that, yeah, I mean, let's keep Cam Akers out there, see what the kids got. I mean, I don't know too much about his profile, but if I remember correctly from best ball studying and, and, you know, looking at things in the off season, he's supposed to be a really, really strong receiver, right? Yeah, I think, I think he was a good receiver at Florida state. Only four receptions on the year, Uh, you know, had one today. Uh, no games with more than one reception or more than one target. So I feel like for him to really assert himself and become a viable play on a week-to-week basis, he would have to develop some role in the passing game, and we just haven't seen that yet. I think if we start to see that, that's when we really lock in on Cam Akers. I definitely agree with that. We have two more storylines to cover on this show. The first one, I mean, man, feels good. Talked about it only a few short days ago, and the time is finally here. Jalen Hurts unleashed they hashtag free Jalen Hurts he played 22 minutes of this game 
outproduced Carson Wentz, who had 38 minutes of game time. You know, he threw for 138 yards and a touchdown to Wentz's 97 scoreless yards. I mean, Hertz didn't look absolutely amazing. I mean, he went five for 12 passing, but like I said, uh, you know, a touchdown, he, he showed some rushing equity. And at this point, Doug Peterson has refused to name the week 14 starter. We got some news this weekend that Doug Peterson is potentially on the hot seat. And I mean, with this coach playing for his job and as bad as Carson Wentz has looked, there's no way they go back to Carson Wentz at this point. Yeah, I don't think anybody that has a pair of eyeballs and a, and a brain <laughs> in between their two ears would play Carson Wentz next week. I mean, he was just awful again today. He just holds on to the ball for way too long, takes, you know, unnecessary sacks, misses wide open wide receivers, and Jalen Hurts, you know, obviously didn't light it up, but at least he made some good throws. He threw a touchdown that was a pretty good ball, threw a bad interception, but he's obviously a rookie quarterback and he's not getting reps in practice with the first team and you know i i think this was a sign for you know the future it's the jalen hurts show moving forward in philadelphia like i said there there's just no way that anybody with a brain would keep on trotting carson wentz out there to lose football games at least see what you have in jalen hurts and you know move forward from there he he, he looked good he he looked he looked uh, way better than Carson Wentz. I will say that. So, yeah, he looked fluid in his movements. He he had escapability from the pocket after Carson Wentz was the most sacked quarterback coming into this week. And just Carson Wentz moves so slow, and it, it's just so weird because like when he came into the league, like his escapability in the pocket was one of the impressive things when you watched him play, and he just has none of that anymore. And just watching you know the pocket kind of collapse around Jalen Hurts and him find a way to get out of it, it, it was just refreshing from an Eagles perspective. And, and yeah, I mean, I think the future is bright with Jalen Hurts. I think his mobility will add a lot to this offense, might help free Miles Sanders a little bit. And I mean, God, Doug Peterson, get him out of there. Took it too long for him to make this decision. It's Jalen Hurts season. Oh yeah, 100%. And the Eagles definitely need to move on from Peterson. That dude is pure scrub and locked into a Super Bowl win. So yeah, that that's my take on the Eagles situation. Just terrible. All right, Joey. And uh, the final story for today's show, I mean, absolute history that we saw there in New York with uh, the Jets there. I mean, do you, do you want to tell the people what you saw in, in this final play <laughs> for the Jets? Just absolute stone cold, epic, blatant tanking. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it was the right thing to do. Of course. Like, <laughs> like, why would you risk winning a game? Uh, you know, an unnecessary December game against Las Vegas and jeopardize your chances at getting, you know, a generational franchise quarterback in Trevor Lawrence just makes no sense. So they just go out there, they run an all out blitz on, you know, <laughs> third down or whatever the down was with 13 seconds left. And Derek Carr hits Henry Ruggs on a deep pass for a touchdown to win the game. Some people think that, you know, it wasn't designed that way. Please. I think I think if you think that you're an idiot, um, this this was a clear tank job. It was a trash cornerback on Henry Ruggs. I will say that. Like Henry Ruggs probably would have burned him if the Jets weren't tanking. But I would like to believe that that cornerback knew that he had to give up that touchdown for the Jets' future. Um, I, I think he got the call on the sideline. And if you don't think that, I, I got some property to sell you. <laughs> I mean. 
Adam Schefter tweeted out a really interesting stat about this that as far as their data goes, which goes back to 2006, so the Jets rushed seven on that play, and they were the only team in the past 14 seasons to send six plus pass rushers when they had a lead between four and eight points. They were over 40 yards away from the end zone, and they were in the final 15 seconds of regulation. Just historic, you know, absolute greatness. I mean, what do you have to say to the people who think, I, I saw on Twitter, I don't know, this a weird subsection of actual football fan Twitter where they're like, you know, this is, you know, immoral. It's bad for the game. The judge should have to forfeit the pick for this blatant <laughs> tank job. How do you feel about uh, that perspective? I mean, I think they should just shut the hell up <laughs> and, you know, let them tank. Obviously, they they could have easily won the game. Just let them, let them tank. It's not hurting anybody. They want, you know, the specific player that they want in Trevor Lawrence. I feel like if they want to lose games on purpose and, you know, maybe sacrifice the morale of the team and, and whatnot, then I, I say let them do it. You know, more power to them. I, I'm not going to complain about a team losing on purpose. I, I think that's just unnecessary and there's better things to worry about in life than an NFL team losing on purpose. Yeah, I mean, the Raiders aren't going to complain. They're lit. You know, they love that. And and Adam Gase probably did it for his own good because if he blew the Jets' chances to get Trevor Lawrence for a random Week 13 win, he probably would have been like beheaded in Times Square tomorrow afternoon. Oh, yeah. They would have pulled out the guillotine in, <laughs> in, in front of Times Square and chopped this man's head off like deadass. It, it was self-preservation. <laughs> like, swear to God, they would they would have literally sent death threats to this man if he uh, dropped the Jets in the draft order. I swear to God. Yeah. Like, NFL fans are crazy. Especially New Yorkers, you know? I mean, God. Yeah, we're f***ing nuts. Swear to God. But that is going to be it, guys, for episode 114 of the DFS Dose podcast. Thank you for listening. Like Joey said at the top of the show, you can support us in a couple of free and easy ways, starting off with subscribing to this podcast on whatever platform you're currently listening on, you know, whether that be Spotify, SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, Apple, wherever you listen to podcasts, we are there. So hit that subscribe button. You can also sub to us on YouTube. And don't forget to follow on Twitter at the DFS Dose, as well as our personal Twitters. I am at Ben Hover, B-E-N-H-A-U-V-E-R. Joey, tell them where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at JoeyCarryDFS. All right, guys, we will be back to preview the week 14 slate of DraftKings on Thursday. We'll talk to you then.